everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, bringing you the top health tech news stories and analysis every single week. I'm James and back with me today, I have my co-hosts Jessica and Henry. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, the Slomex team has grown again this week, which is exciting. Yeah, it's just been good on all fronts. Nice to see everyone doing some fantastic work and some great conversations with clients. Uh, yeah, really lovely week. I managed to convince my partner that buying camera equipment was a good use of our wedding fund, uh, <laughs> which is probably the best bit of negotiation I've ever done in my life. Excellent. And I'm happy this week because the uh, the rain came, which is really good for my tomatoes that are growing in the garden. So that's a sign of how old I am. <laughs> Please, James, tell us how many tomatoes are growing currently. For a very modest plant pot, or it's sort of like a trough. There's about 50 tomatoes in there. Like, I'm, that's an achievement. That's an achievement, but absolutely. Growing your own tomatoes is the most expensive way to save yourself 75p ever. <laughs> like, how much have you spent on compost and steaks? And like, all, I'm all for people growing veg, but I don't want to hear about it every morning. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're in the minority, Henry. Right. Uh, let's talk about some health tech, shall we? Uh, story number one. Right, story number one. So Japanese medical AI startup Yubi snaps up $26 million in Series C funding. Henry, what does Yubi do and why is this interesting this week? What Yubi's done this morning is tell me that I have a brain tumour. So either it's just saved my life or the AI in it might need a bit of tweaking. So they're using it to, well, first of all, they are an AI symptom checker and a couple of other bits and bobs as well. They've got quite a lot of interesting uh, bits of tech out there. They're mainly based in Japan. Um, most of their clients are in Japan, but they are expanding in the US and that's what the funding is for. They've been around a while, five years now, um, and they're up to about $60 million in funding. So yeah, the one thing they are wanting to use this for is to accelerate their collaborations with pharma companies so that they can basically sort of shortcut the middleman, take out the middleman almost, and just say, right, these are the symptoms, these are the potential prescriptions that you would be looking at. So that's quite an interesting development. I'm not sure sure ethically how much I agree with that, but um, good luck to them. Did it say you had it or did it say you're at risk? What Practically, what, what actually happened here? So I put in all of my symptoms. It says, suggestion, please consider going to the doctor right away. There may be potentially dangerous symptoms and illnesses if left untreated. Please see a doctor urgently if you have new, worsening or persistent symptoms, concerns or worries. And then it says, why? And then this bit I don't understand. If you have any of the following symptoms or illnesses, we recommend you seek medical attention right away. Brain tumour. Well, I don't know if I have a brain tumour. You've told me I might. So maybe I should be seeking medical assistance. Interesting. It's either saying that it's a symptom or you need to be concerned if you have one, if you have a brain tumour with those symptoms. So a lot of caveats in there and, hmm, interesting, but seemingly raising a lot of money, looking to expand, possibly looking to improve their symptom checker, who knows, but uh, clearly something that a lot of investors are seeing value in. So as you say, uh, good luck to them in there. Erring on the side of caution, let's say, at least you didn't get through with symptoms. Uh, at least you didn't get through that process with concerning symptoms without having to do anything is what I would say. So I think where these symptom checkers are on the side of caution, then all the better. However, obviously, if they're forcing everyone to go into hospital urgently, that's not the best thing in the world. But thus is the challenge of walking the line as a symptom checker. 
On to story number two. So story number two this week. This is so interesting. So this startup wants to copy you into an embryo to then harvest your organs. Now that sounds like a pretty uh, pretty grandiose headline or clearly an emotive headline. Uh, it definitely is emotive and gets me thinking of the plot of The Island uh, featuring Ewing McGregor and Scarlett Johansson, which I watched a long time ago, which was exactly this, growing embryos in a facility in case you then need an organ transplant that you then get it from the embryo. Is that is that what's happening here, Jess? Well, it's also a throwback for me to a book I read as a child and a programme that I strangely really enjoyed. I don't know if anyone read or watched Pig Heart Boy by Mallory Blackman, which was about a child who needed a heart transplant and received it from a pig. Quite harrowing, now I think about it, to read as a child, but interesting nonetheless. Um, and what this article was saying is that previously there have been, uh, or there has been research and studies into genetically engineering the organs of animals to make them more viable in humans for transplant. But this research goes a step further where it is talking about, as you say, that James, creating embryos to extract stem cells that can then be turned into any organ to address this human organ transplant shortage. What has happened so far is that there has been some relative success in the transplantation of um, embryos or cells into biologically or genetically similar animals. So where we're talking about perhaps a chimpanzee um, and a maraca or a rat and a mouse, but there's been less success of transplanta transplantation of those of cells of one animal into a very different type of animal. So for example, it hasn't been successful where, for example, a pig cells have been transplanted into a monkey's into a monkey's body. And so what they've actually seen where they've tried very localized and small experiments with human cells is that actually it hasn't been particularly successful. So I think they transplanted human cells into a pig. Many of the fetus exhibited stunted growth or were slow growing, um, which meant that they therefore wouldn't be viable later down the line. So it's not likely to be successful for humans yet. However, obviously, this raises huge ethical questions on numerous levels. So I think the first is that this article raised concerns around even the implantation of, for example, human cells into a genetically similar animal, such as a chimpanzee. What does that mean if, for example, worst case scenario, an embryo then goes to full term? Do you then end up with a chimpanzee with enhanced intelligence? Does it create some apocalyptic subspecies? That kind of thing. Um, and so I think it it is an in, it's interesting from that perspective because you have to always consider what it, you know if it goes right, it could be amazing. But there's also a lot of potential for it to go wrong and that those versions of reality are a bit worrying um, I've been watching War of the Worlds so uh, my perspective is slightly tainted on <laughs> the dystopian um, future but I guess the other the other part of it is you know is it 
how how ethically comfortable do we feel growing human fetus fetuses in other animals for uh, research but also i guess you know there is a positive ethical argument that people are going to benefit potentially because they have access to human organs that are going to function better in their body if indeed this research is successful so it's an interesting one and yeah it gives me throwbacks to pick up what i have to say my favorite thing about this article is actually how james presented it when he chucked it into the group chat which was that he typed i really want to talk about organ harvesting and then didn't send the link for two minutes so that popped up halfway through another call <laughs> and i was like okay well that's terrifying uh yeah it's a, yeah, it's a yeah, great put it on our thing. one-to-one agenda yeah yeah just want to talk about <laughs> organ harvesting we're looking to yeah. branch out uh, from marketing, it's an obvious move. One of your KPIs this year is actually to grow your own liver. Uh, so yeah, great. <laughs> All right, on to story number three. So story number three this week is how human organs on a chip can help replace animal testing. Replacing animal testing, that sounds good. Organs on a chip? Don't know how that sounds. Uh it's not a million miles away from the last one, is it really? Uh, Henry, what's going on here? Yeah, a really interesting article. Um, starts off with a big play and big pull on the heartstrings by talking about 4,000 beagles being destined for an animal testing facility uh, who ended up not being killed, which is always nice. Uh, if you like beagles. If you hate beagles, that's probably a disaster for you. Um, <laughs> basically, drug testing companies have two choices, right, for how they test early stage pharmaceuticals. One is to do it in a very sterile, artificial environment in a petri dish or similar. And the other one is to do it on animals a lot of the time. Um, But there are biotech firms coming out now who have developed this organ on a chip technology. It's about the size of a flash drive and you basically recreate the simplest functional unit of every organ but in a live environment. So you're pumping nutrients, air and blood through these at the same in the same way they would have within the body. That allows you to test new drugs on, uh, on cells and find out how they react in the same way that they would in the body in an ideal world. So that's, I think that's really exciting and great for beagles, if we have any beagles listening. I agree. That is particularly exciting. Um, and I just, <laughs> I just Googled uh, nephron because I was like, I think that's the name for a functional unit of a kidney. Thinking back to that, it clearly is. Uh, for any clinicians listening, it's amazing how quickly that you forget things. But yeah, it's essentially that, isn't it? It's, uh, it's distilling an organ down into its functional unit and then saying like, right, now we can test drugs on this. I actually spoke to a company that, that did this on my podcast uh, a long time ago. They're doing it on cardiac tissue. And they would create these sheets of cardiac tissue that then pharma companies would pay to test their drugs for cardiac toxicity on these sheets of tissue. And, you know, when you think about that as a process, ideal that's that, that that is not happening on beagles or any animal at all, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I think as a, as a, as a process, as a, as a step prior to human or animal testing, uh, all for it. Sounds awesome. I was really surprised to read that 90% of medicines that are trialled on animals are failing human clinical trials. I had no clue. It, it strikes me that, you know, clinical trials and clinical research, you know, there is a necessity to obviously testing on something that isn't a human prior to it and going to human clinical trials. But it doesn't feel like things have moved on a great deal 
and it obviously feels very barbaric and I would have expected we were beyond this now. Well, no, that this was the norm, should I say, that we were beyond such extensive um, clinical trials on animals. And so it's exciting to me that we are seeing opportunities for such a huge shift into something that is more viable and more accurate, it seems. So that's that's really cool and there's so much data out there how how can we better use it and make more get more value from it at an earlier stage i think is is also another question around clinical research i think to henry's point about opening with the emotive 4000 beagles that didn't have to die like yeah i mean we say that relatively glibly but like this is the role of media isn't it to highlight things like this and when you dig into this article the study looked at 27 different compounds in drugs that made it to the market, 22 of which were later discovered to harm the liver. 22 of those drugs went through animal testing and were identified as safe enough to move into clinical trials, yet later were pulled from the market or, or required black box labeling. Um, and what they're saying is that this, that this chip technology was seven to eight times more accurate at identifying the toxicity than the animal testing has had been. And, you know, I was sitting in on one of our client podcasts yesterday and and the the guest was talking about how you can you can opt to do the right thing and you can try and make a moral argument. And the 4,000 beagles not having to die is a very strong moral argument for anybody that is even has the slightest bit of emotional intelligence. However, at the end of the day, if you want to get mass adoption, if you want to break through all of those barriers to change, then it better actually just be much more effective technology. And that is where this is. And I think that's that's where this article gives a lot of hope for anybody that is very much against animal testing because whilst organ chip te- technology is still at a very early stage, it's clearly making waves in drug safety. And yeah, they, they talk about changes in regulation and it's US-based and they're talking about a bill that's recently passed uh, passed the House. So like it helps. And I, I think talking about articles like this definitely helps as well um, because as, to, to your point, Jess, I just think people wouldn't perhaps know that 4,000 beagles were on the way to being tested on and when 22 out of 27 are discovered to be incredibly liver toxic doesn't make you feel good does it so i think we're doing our bit talking about this stuff all right on to story number four uber moves into healthcare. I've heard this before, haven't we? Uber moves into healthcare. This is in Australia and this is in Australian patient transport services. Jess, what 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 are they doing? Who are they transporting? How are they doing it? My understanding is that Uber signed a deal with uh, Australian healthcare providers and doctors can book transport for patients to get them home where they are not an emergency case or they're they don't have some kind of infectious condition. Often, you know, that's the elderly, the frail, who actually public transport is not going to be the best option in terms of protecting them and and their health. And so in principle, great idea. And apparently 
the way that it's structured means that when the doctor books it, the driver doesn't have sight of the patient's information. That's one good thing. I, I just have a couple of things about this that are just a bit strange to me. The first is that it seems pointless. And, and I, I appreciate that's a strong point of view. But there is already a scheme running that gives free taxi free taxi services to people going from hospitals. So that is already in place. And I don't know how much extra therefore, and maybe it's because I don't understand the full context of, you know, the initiative, but I don't know how much more Uber kind of can give to that. And Uber is already part of that scheme. Um, so I guess it puts, it is good commercially for Uber, but in terms of actually the bigger picture and the, the benefit for people, there are those options available. And maybe it's more about Maybe this creates better accessibility. I don't know. But the other thing is, the former chair of the Australian Privacy Foundation's Health Committee raised concerns about how Uber would treat patient data, although this apparently shouldn't be a problem because they won't have that information. However, what she then went on to say was that we have weak laws with no protection for patient information. That is a bold statement. Like, What is going on here? And so that, for me, just overrode the whole article because I was like, I need to understand this more. You know, if this is a problem for Uber, this is going to be a problem on a much bigger scale. And maybe I've taken that out of context. I don't know. And I find sharing of information across health, health systems and between health systems and patients and ownership of data incredibly interesting. But yeah, that just like really leapt out at me. And I know Henry has a different view. So um, over to you. Yeah, no, I, I definitely take all your points, particularly when I run data, <clears throat> I guess. What data points are they going to share given it's just Uber? Probably the name, like, they're not even showing the name of the patient. So I don't know what data points they would be worried about sharing. They're not getting the patient's name. They're just picking someone up and taking them to a place. I think it's interesting from a from a marketing standpoint, actually. So, yes, as the article says, there is a system in place for taxi drivers. If you search for that system on Google prior to this being announced earlier on this week, there's nothing, just absolutely nothing around. If you chuck the name Uber behind it, suddenly it's newsworthy and it's been picked up in various places and syndicated. That means that patients become aware of it. That means that people can utilise it. That's great, not just for Uber, but for other organisations who are part of that scheme. So I think the reason this is a good thing is that they've done something quite clever in taking something that is very boring, which is patient transport, and making it newsworthy, which is... Great. I think that's a really good thing because now whatever the population of Sydney is, they're now going to be significantly more aware of this as a concept. And I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah, I would agree. I think, um, you know, patient access to anything is so important. And actually just that awareness piece is critical. And if more people now know about whether it's Uber or whether or whether it's the free taxi service, then all the better. And that, that does have net benefit. But apart from it being kind of a, an awareness campaign and obviously you know there's likely to be commercial benefit for uber i don't practically see that much difference the other thing is actually while i think about it and i'm talking very much from an nhs perspective here and i'm sure that you know the, there are health systems around the world are seeing similar things with you know workforce issues and that sort of thing and and perhaps it's just the way that the article's written but is that not additional admin for a doctor? It's, I, I know it says the doctors are going to do it. That, that, if, if that was in the NHS, I think, the do, I think that would tip people over the edge. 
I'm going to provide you guys with a list of surprising things that junior doctors do that you never thought that they would be involved in. And uh, that is engaging content. It, it would be somewhat meta and ironic making a list of really boring things uh, because that would be top of that list. What's the worst thing? The dullest thing? Uh, the worst thing? I mean, it, I it's difficult to say. I mean, we talk a lot about technology emancipating clinicians from administrative tasks. And I would say, yeah, we talk a lot and we've talked a lot for a long time. And, you know, when we talked here last week, it was newsworthy that you just didn't have to put information in twice for one thing. And that was discharge summaries. They were, It would just automatically pull a list of drugs from the list of drugs that already exist into the discharge summary. So one small part of one process that you didn't have to repeat made the news because that's what junior, and and an F1 doctor was quoted in the press release in the article. So like that just gives you a flavor of the volume of repetitive notes that you have to, so just writing things down and the day that the AI actually listens in the background and and writes notes and summarizes them properly will be heralded as as the day that everything changed. I think for for particularly junior clinicians who make up a heck of a lot of that workforce, there's what fifty four thousand. Well, there should be fifty four thousand. There's probably even less. But yeah, it, it's mind numbing to 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 think about even the list of or making the list of the boring things. It's it's crazy. Honestly, it, it is. It genuinely must be a surprise uh, for people that have not done it i would say and i do think every now and again things must have changed it's been over 10 years since uh i've been i was an f1 and i I, you just kind of think in that time surely it's changed because everyone's wanted it to change but a quick skim through twitter just shows you that it has not and actually everybody's frustrations are exactly the same which is which is scary a little bit uh for me honestly So story number five, the reason I put that I'd love to put this in this week is because uh, we had the term Sunicorn last week. And I, and I think I, I learned that these kind of tech bro uh, phrases that are coming up are a particular annoyance. And so when I put this one in the group chat, I just knew it would kind of be a little heart sink. And then uh, you would get on your soapbox, perhaps. And so here we go. Story number five, strive to be a gorilla not just a unicorn. Henry, tell us all about this. What's a what's a gorilla? Okay, what is a gorilla? A gorilla is a startup with a billion dollar plus valuation and a hundred million plus net revenue run rate. And it's no, it's not. It's a it's a massive monkey that could rip your arms off. So it's so lazy. It's just I understand that the meaning of words change and that we use metaphors and similes to create imagery for people so that they can you know, visualise something that might be a difficult financial concept. Like a bull market or a a bear market, right? Those are are good examples, perhaps. I'm okay with those. I'm I'm okay with those because, yes, everyone understands that sort of metaphor. And unicorn as well, although, although, as we discussed last week, there's like 1,200 or something unicorns now, so they're not actually that rare. But anyway, unicorn makes sense because it's rare. It's, you know, it's original. Gorilla doesn't make any sense, okay? That's that's the problem. (laughs) It's also quite aggressive. They could have chosen something nice. 
So they couldn't have chosen something nice. And here's why. So <laughs> when James sent this to me, uh, obviously I had loads of time that day. I decided to go and look and see, A, how many animals you need to have for it to technically be a zoo. And there's no definite <laughs> answer for that. And B, how many investment terms I could find that were animals. And it's insane. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what the minimum amount of animals is for a zoo and the internet doesn't know either and if the internet doesn't know. So here's some of the ones that I came up with that I can remember. So purple squirrel. <laughs> what? What's that? Right? There's hamsterkauf, which I really like, which is a German term that basically means when investors are hoarding things. You know when hamsters fill their cheeks with stuff? Yeah, that's called hamsterkauf in investment terms and you have to do it in a slight German accent. But that's absolutely fine. It, it Honestly... I was looking at this for way too long. Black swans, ostriches, doves and hawks. Uh, stop. <laughs> it only works if it creates an image in the reader or the listener or whoever it is mind that goes, oh yeah, I can see how a unicorn works as a concept. Gorilla doesn't work, okay? Find a better analogy or get a different job. I sense one of Henry's special viral posts coming up as the follow-on from his brilliant Spotify list. He's now going to create a VC zoo. It was also the two Ronnie's posts about AI and healthcare, which I enjoyed. The, the long and short of it is that changing the use of words and the meaning of words to enhance people's understanding of it is fundamentally a good thing. Uh, enhance people's understanding of a difficult concept is fundamentally a good thing. Arbitrarily assigning the characteristics of an aggressive ape to something that is completely not connected is the work of fools. It's funny, isn't it? Because when you think, when you, when you, what my mind went to there was, okay, if something's called a purple squirrel, what does that mean? That it's a bit weird, interesting, scary, goes fast. It's not, it, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't, all the, or maybe, no, maybe, no. All the, maybe the company purple, is all of those things. And I, uh, you know, who knows? The purple squirrel is interesting. It's the one, it's used by recruiters a lot. It's a, a, a candidate with exactly the right sort of skill set, experience, education for the role, which I, you know, I have learned something. Again, that doesn't make any sense. I, so I think it might. Because there aren't any purple squirrels. So yes, but uh, I suppose maybe, but. It is something that you definitely want. There are no purple squirrels. Yeah, but it's something that you want and it's impossible to catch. No, why? (laughs) Who wouldn't? No, no, it's not, it's not impossible to catch. It doesn't exist. (laughs) Everything that doesn't exist is impossible to catch. That's just like, what? Again, there are people with the right criteria for a job, a perfect set of experience and education and age and all the things that these people want. There are no purple squirrels. So therefore it doesn't work. (laughs) Could you not use like, I don't know, a leprechaun or something like that, that we know what it means. And there we go. That was story number five, combining Henry's love of lexicon and animals, although his, and his frustration at tech bros' use of those things. Hope you enjoyed listening this week. That was Health Tech Pigeon, a rather bizarre Health Tech Pigeon. But if you want to go and read, by the way, nothing about Henry's ranting, if you want to go and read actually about Health Tech, you can go a bit of a bit of Henry's ranting goes into the newsletter. But if you click on the links, you can get good health tech information. Uh, and you can visit healthtechpigeon.com to find all of those links, uh, as well as a few jobs and a few podcasts and things if you haven't been totally put off by this one. Uh, we're here every week. Uh, we'll try and be we'll try and be a bit more professional, maybe next week. I don't know. If you want professional, maybe listen to my other one, the Health Tech Podcast. That's probably a bit more sensible. Uh, 
See you next week.